Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that Consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. At the top of every month, I choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious, or in this case, the guest chooses a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious, and discuss the significance and impact of it with, uh, with a, well, with aforementioned guest who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic, which I will then watch and report back on. And this month, I'll be exploring some films from the Russian silent film genre, or period, however you want to define it. And joining me to discuss is co-host of the Battleship Retention podcast and uh, bet winner with an asterisk, David Bax. <laughs> David, thank you for joining me on, a, on my return from uh, my month-long hiatus in a strange world now that we live in yeah this is this is the strange world we we live in um i'm uh we but it's kind of like leveled the playing field in in a way because you and i despite living on opposite ends of the country essentially have the exact same situation right <laughs> yeah, like yeah and that's not, not just you and i like anyone everyone everywhere is living in the same place at home um yeah. uh and it also it has no. This is how we would have done the podcast anyway. Whereas, like uh, for Battleship Retention, Tyler and I are now are for the first time in our 13 year history doing these remote podcasts with uh, each wow. other. We've always we've always recorded in person, but now we're doing these remote podcasts, so that's different. Mm. But this is the same as always. And yes, uh, I want to bet. <laughs> let's let's talk about that before anything, because this is obviously the most important thing happening right now for us. Um, if you recall. David and I had a bet at the beginning of the now not canceled, quote unquote, paused NHL season in which uh, we we made a bet as to who would score more points in the regular season. Jacob Truba, the uh, all-star defenseman from my New York Rangers or Alex Pietrangelo, the all-star and I believe captain. Is that correct? Yeah. Of of David St. Louis Blues. Justin Petro. Um, (laughs) And now... As I just said, the NHL season has been not officially canceled. They've paused it, which uh, is is an excuse that all sorts of shitty billionaire GMs are using to not refund the tickets to people that have have put money on. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, uh, specifically, uh, Jeremy Jacobson, the guy that owns the Bruins, um, is refusing to to refund the fans because the season hasn't been canceled, so there's no tickets to refund. Um, but uh, so as as of the the pause season, Pietrangelo was well ahead in the, in the points race. But you never know what could have happened. He could have been injured. Uh, yeah. But yeah. But so um, David was inflexible and decided that he has won the bet. So the the <laughs> the parameters of the bet was that if he won, he would get to choose a theme to talk about on ID Movies Badly, and if I won, he would have to buy me a Criterion title of my choosing. Um, yeah, of my, of my choosing. Um, so he has won. So he has elected to, and I just found this out today, just hours before we started recording, <laughs> that he wanted to discuss Russian silent cinema. But before we get into that, um, I, I we we've already hit on it a little bit. But how, how are you? How are you? How are you and your wife holding up through this whole 
work or are you staying safe and you staying healthy and, and, and you're still gainfully employed for the most part? Yes, we are both fortunate enough to still be gainfully employed. And I am fortunate enough to be able to work uh, from home full time. In fact, my uh, I, I see all these people talking about like all the free time they have. And I do have free time in the evenings and weekends, but I'm still working like full, you know, a full 40 hour plus really uh, oh, wow. in some cases a uh, week. It's just a really it's a really busy. T- I, I don't I don't. I don't say in my uh, in my uh, podcasting life what I do for a living, but it's a really very busy time uh, mm. at my work. So that's good. My wife is a social worker, which means that she can mostly work from home, but uh, she is an essential county employee and does sure. occasionally have to have to venture out because she helps people. Uh, so she was she was gone for a while this afternoon, but um, we're all back home now. Mostly, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, watching movies, including. Uh, uh, a number of Soviet silent films, which is what got me, uh, <laughs> what made you want to talk about this. Um, and also together, uh, uh, my wife and I are Natalie, my wife, Natalie and I are, uh, catching up on all the TV shows, uh, of like recent, somewhat recent vintage that we just missed. Okay. So we're like all caught up on better things. All we're right. catching up on transparent, which is already over. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to finally watch crazy X girlfriend. Okay. Like, this is all because I like I don't I used to be a full on TV guy and around 2015 I was like eh, I think I like movies better and I kind of just stopped watching TV <laughs> so I have like five years of TV shows that I didn't watch that we're catching up on so it's been it's been fun we we also learned how to play gin rummy oh okay. um, my, my wife and my wife has been kicking my ass on a daily <laughs> basis at gin rummy yep. uh, I don't know what about you guys what are you how are you passing the time yeah we're so we're both working remotely though I will say um, there's less work for me to do. I work in uh, corporate video production and most of our clients, they've stopped working and they've stopped spending money. So there's not as much work for we, for us to do. So I, you know, I check my email every day and uh, I'm, I'm around and available for things that need to get done, but there's not as much for me to do. My, my wife works in uh, admissions in a, in a college. So there's still, people are still applying and there's still this idea of, okay. of working remotely and how to make that work with faculty and with staff and that sort of thing. So, um, I, I am one of those people that has a lot more free time, uh, and I'm filling it with uh, doing a lot of reading. Um, mm. I'm actually not... This was an interesting question. I'll, I'll get to it, I guess, later. But uh, we, we also we bought a stationary bike and, um, and, oh, cool. and subscribed for a 90-day Peloton subscription, because even though we don't have a Peloton bike, we still kind of try and translate the workouts to what we're doing. So even though gyms okay. are closed, we're still getting cardio in. Um, we, we go for walks. Uh, we, we have a, a little bit of routine. I, we have not started this yet, but we just bought Scrabble. So with the intention that we can play oh, Scrabble yeah. on, on a regular basis and I, and I'm fully prepared for my wife to beat me quite thoroughly because I've, I've played with her and her dad before. And it's really just in how far in third place am I going to finish is the question <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I play with them. So, um, we'll see how that goes, but th- this is a, I, I, I'm assuming that you guys used to do a fair amount of press screenings. I have to assume those are kind of been put on hold for a while, right? Uh, Oh yeah, I mean, there's certain things that I'm able to watch, like uh, screener, like links mm-hmm. of. But even then, a lot of releases have been postponed. So not only are the press screenings canceled, there's fewer stuff. There's there's fewer things to even be mm-hmm. to even be screening um, or, or to even be reviewing. So um, yeah, I'm trying to keep mate- like content up on the on the website, and we're mm-hmm. doing a. Uh, a good job of a fairly fairly good job of that um i've still got i can still check my po box uh you know rush into the rush into the post office 
once a week, check the PO box, and then go home and furiously wash my hands. Um, <laughs> and that'll, that gives me some Blu-rays to review. Oh yeah. Um, so as far, but as far as stuff to review, I don't have that much. I am uh, next week. Uh, I think next week or maybe the week. Uh, no, actually, it's not till the end of the month. But um, Justin Kurzel's True History of the Kelly Gang is getting a VOD release the same day as its theatrical release was going to be. Okay. So I'll have a review of that. Uh, there, so there's there's there are a few things. Uh, but yeah, as far as my output um, of, of reviews and my intake of like new movies i'm just i'm just really worried (laughs) this is me and tyler and i talked about this in the podcast like the end of the year for all our end of year stuff oh yeah yeah all critics are just gonna have to be like cramming because everything's (laughs) not coming out until the end of the year i know some stuff's gotten pushed 2021 some like of the big tentpole stuff but it just still feels like uh, we're gonna have an even bigger crush than usual in like October, November, December, uh, assuming everything's back to normal by then. Yeah, I or was normal-ish. Thinking, I was thinking about that because there, there's two things that I really miss uh, with everything kind of being changed. One of which is my uh, the church that I go to, and they're still doing it remotely, but obviously there's not people to kind of hug and, and see how they're doing that kind of thing. And then movies. I mean. Uh, say what you will about uh, pretensions or taste, but we had the AMC A-list Stubbs membership, so we would go on a regular basis out to the movies, and we had been doing that. And so if I had to, let's say, and I, I don't know if you're one of those people that say, like, hates the phrase, like, let's say the season ended today. Um, but let's say movies, <laughs> let's say movie season ended today. My, my top ten would have to be between the, let me see, eight movies that I actually saw before we stopped going to see movies. Um, and at this point, it would either be The Invisible Man or Emma, which would be my number one, because uh, that's that's the only movies that we kind of really got around to seeing, though I am excited that they pushed The Lovebirds to a Netflix release, because I was very much looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, Emma's great. Emma uh, is the last, not counting a press screening, which I'm under indefinite embargo for, because they keep pushing the release date. <laughs> um, the la- Yeah, Emma is the last movie that I saw in the in the theater and would probably also since i have other stuff that i saw at sundance that hasn't come out and who knows when it's going to come out oh yeah but emma um emma's probably also my number one of the year uh, okay so far yeah all right um something else i was going to say and i forgot what it was oh well (laughs) um so and i guess one thing is so we've been um you've talked about tv stuff that you're catching up on one thing which i've really come to appreciate in this time is the great british baking show uh, oh, be- yeah, because it's engaging enough where you're rooting for certain quote unquote characters, but it's also light enough where I could the very next day forget what we watched the day before um, <laughs> and not stress over it when I'm going to sleep. So that's been fun. We've kind of had that as like an afternoon break, like oh, let's watch a baking show that we can kind of throw on and, and put light. But we've also um, been trying to keep up with some new stuff. We recently finished Hunters on Amazon and oh. um, and we and we recently started. <laughs> Uh, continuing the trend, I suppose. Um, David Simon's *The Plot Against America*. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching that too. Yeah, and, and as is most, as is the case with David Simon stuff, it's uh, it's very good uh, ensemble and stressful, and also um, a little bit too on the nose for the contemporary times. Yeah, that that the most recent episode was like it ended, and Natalie and I were both like, Oof, "We got three more of these. Like, I don't know how <laughs> we're gonna do it. This is heavy stuff." Uh, but yeah, so that's. Um, that just that was a, a fun catch up. It's been I was looking at our, our Skype history. The last time we talked was almost a year ago. It was May, yeah. I think May fifth. I just was the saw last. that too. Yeah. yeah. So um so we're we're coming Secret around. Mayo. <laughs> Mayo 2019. Yeah, that's that's true. But um and the 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 biggest adjustment we had to make, of course, and and 
you, David, uh, individually don't know the details, but neither do the listeners. I did get married in March, and that's why I took a, a month off from the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Um, it did not transpire the way that we had planned, um, we, <laughs> because we had actually decided um, a couple weeks before the wedding to postpone it, because that's when things were kind of really starting getting to get crazy, and we wanted to kind of alleviate people's fears about traveling into new york and and also we we didn't want to have a contact-free wedding basically we thought that was going to be kind of a cloud um but we still knew that we wanted to get married so we planned on instead just having a very small ceremony in the hotel room where we were going to stay the night of the wedding with just you know officiant a couple witnesses and then we'd have dinner and stay there the night and then that would be it and then we're sitting on our couch tuesday march 17th it was the first day that i was working from home uh, Mayor St. Bill Patrick's De- Day. Yep, St. Patrick's Day. Mayor Bill de Blasio oh, gets... Oh, all of uh, all of uh, all your like landmarks are on, <laughs> on uh, uh, weird patronizing ethnic holidays. <laughs> but we're, we're sitting on the couch and Mayor Bill de Blasio comes on and says, people should be prepared for a shelter-in-place order in the next 48 hours. And we thought, well, if that actually does come to fruition, then that means we can't even have that Plan B wedding... And so we talk real quick, and we decide to just get married that day. And so we call up the officiant, who is, of course, in the Poconos and unable to attend. I turned out I had a friend who was registered in, in New York to, to marry people. Uh, we called him up. We called some friends and witnesses, got them together, cleaned the apartment, and in three and a half hours, we threw together a wedding, and we got married outdoors in the park near here at Fort Tryon Park. If anyone is familiar with New York, they, they might know about that, but at sunset overlooking the George Washington Bridge, nearby is a, a museum called the Cloisters, which is an old uh, monastery that they brought over here, um, you know, like in the early 1900s, I think, and put it together brick by brick. That is now a museum. Uh, we got married outdoors in the park, uh, passing New Yorkers, cheered us on. It was a very brief ceremony, but we got married. Uh, and it was uh, rather interesting that we went from a plan A to a plan C in uh, less than two weeks and actually got uh, interviewed by New York Magazine, but I don't think that our story made the cut, per se, because uh, they, were, they, they were doing a whole thing about... Bigger um, fish to fry? Yeah, well, there there was... um, They were doing a whole a series, I guess, on, on people that kind of had to improvise their weddings based on the, the pandemic, and uh, I think there were just some that were a bit more sexier than ours because there was some that like you know they had a they had a reporter there with them while they get married in the street and it's like okay fine ours is better than that but whatever i'm not bitter about it whatsoever but needless to say it's been it's been it's been a crazy month david and it feels like it's been even more than a month because of how time seems to be compressed in this pandemic but um you have been watching a lot of russian silent cinema well, specifically, I watched um, three films by Sevalod Padovkin, one of which I'll be recommending to you today. Okay, and um, now, now I have to ask: was this did was this seed planted a while back, and you were watering it, or did this just occur to you like a couple of days? You're like, oh, this is it. This I, is what I. I knew I needed to. I, I was like, I knew I needed to 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 come up with a topic for for this episode, and I was like. Just waiting for inspiration to strike. <laughs> and then Flick Rally sent me this Blu-ray trilogy of films by Sevalod Padovkin. And I was watching them and I was loving them. Okay. And I was like, oh, there's, you know, the, uh, uh, like sort of looking at my Blu-ray shelf and realizing like, oh, yeah, I I like. And you keep saying Russian. I, I specifically like to say Soviet silent films okay, sure. because they're you can't you can't extricate them from the 
fact that they are not only great works of cinema, but also they are great works of propaganda. <laughs> they are, they, these are these are state-funded, um, state-produced films, mm-hmm. um, and in most cases, they are specifically made to uh, bolster people's enthusiasm about being a part of uh, the Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> And, 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 you know, the, and, and communism and, and the, it, it, you'll, you'll, you'll see, uh, as we talk about these movies, what I'm, what I'm talking about. David, I hear, uh, I hear a lot of, there's a, a big scare about socialism out there and I'm just worried I'm going to watch all these films and come out being a big Bernie stand. Is that going to be a problem for me? Honestly, <laughs> some of these are such convinced, like, are th- that, that's the, th- it's the thing about, so, uh, um, I never know, like, because the the premise of your show is to, like that you don't know anything, and so I tend to assume that the listeners don't know anything about the subject that we're talking about. But some of this might be just sort of like baseline film school stuff. But mm-hmm. the thing that makes the Soviet uh, there's a lot of great things about Soviet silent films, but the things that you're taught when you go to film school and yeah. you're taught about uh, uh, about these films and about this era of filmmaking is that. The Soviets got out way of, ahead of everyone on the power of editing, of mm-hmm. juxtaposing images, creating cadence, and directing an audience's sympathies based on uh, based on the way that images are are juxtaposed. I'll go all the way back to the thing that every film student learns about the. Uh, uh, now I, I always forget that it starts with the K. Kulikov Kuleshov effect. Which cool, is, yeah, the Kuleshov effect. Yeah. Okay, so the, and and this was that a um, uh, this person Kuleshov created these shorts, basically just like pairings of a man looking, and it was always the same same shot of a man looking, mm-hmm. and then he but then he would cut it so it looked like the man was looking at his baby or looking at his lunch or looking at like <laughs> and would show it to people and say, can you rate the man's performance as an actor? And people would say, like, oh, yeah, you could really tell that he was hungry when he was looking at his lunch. Or you could really tell how much he loved his child or whatever. But, like, it's the same shot every time. It's just about these things. There's this power of suggestion when mm-hmm. when you when, when you put things together. And it uh, it makes people think things. And also, in a sort of more nefarious, propagandistic way, it keeps people from thinking other things. You know, you can sort of steer people away from... Uh, the the interpretations you don't want them to have of uh, of events and and uh, that so that's sort of I, I know that's baseline stuff and that uh, a lot of your listeners might be like yeah we know David but uh, that is just sort of the it's it's the way to it's the thing it's it's the thing to keep in mind uh, when you're going into the this this era and this group of filmmakers well and to alleviate some of your your fears I guess I I've dabbled a little bit in that it hasn't been since film school of course like most people that went to film school i i saw battleship uh potemkin which of course is the the film upon which you have based battleship pretension um yeah. so ingrained is in it is my nomenclature and that i almost called the film battleship pretension so uh, there you go there's a boost for your ego um and of course um I, is it from that same film that uh, the odessa step sequence comes from that you've seen imitated yeah. in dozens of, of of movies and tv shows Okay, so, so it's been a while since you've seen Battleship Potemkin. It's it's been a long time. I remember okay, seeing. Because I was it. gonna, it's it's on my list. It's one of the three films I was gonna recommend to you today. I I, I figured I figured that would be well. I mean, how how do you yeah. talk about Soviet cinema without talking about, um, you know, uh, Battleship Potemkin? So so yeah, it, it's been a long time. 
Um, and I think I actually took a, a J-term course, which was about Russian cinema. But because it was a J-term course, it was only for one month. We kind of had to span from silent cinema up until, um, okay. you know, 1980s, 1990s sort of stuff. So I, I've, I've dabbled a little bit in it, but I'd say my most recent exposure to... I can't even say my most recent exposure. The closest thing I've come is a couple of years ago when Douglas McCambridge came on and he was talking about um, Tarkovsky. So I saw Ivan's Childhood and some other stuff, which, of course, even that's decades after this, but I'm sure is, yeah. is influenced in some degree. So do you want do we jump do we jump into the movies? Do you have well, more to ask me? About I, I have I have a, I have a, a little bit more to ask uh, about because I and not even ask as much as let me be vulnerable with you and express a fear that I have um, that because we're we're dealing with a a culture that was so as you say kind of like forward thinking when it came to editing and, and a certain technique that uh i'll run out of things to talk about like i can talk about the editing but how am i supposed to talk about this director what they do when it's like it's it's so kind of early in the form then it's like well how much how can i talk about editing across three episodes alleviate that fear for me david right now uh well i mean I, the third film especially will give you plenty to talk about okay it's the the third the third film that i've chosen today is markedly different from the other two um so you'll be able to talk about that one just on its own it is okay. it is i mean it still has plenty of great editing but there's a lot of other technique in it and it and it is a different it's a different beast it's a different uh animal of movie than the first two okay. the first two i think will weirdly um uh so you know, the first episode you can talk about editing and stuff the second uh the second film you can actually do a lot of comparing and contrasting because mm-hmm. the first two directors I'm picking are definitely contemporaries who made very much the same kinds of films, um, but I think from uh, approaching it from different uh, from different aspects. So I think you'll have plenty to to, to get into, and also you can all you, you can always uh, talk about the performance and then the, the actors' performances, and then question: Is it the performance or is it the editing? <laughs> That's I, I remember. I think it was on a, a Battleship Retention episode, like sometime last year, that Tyler talked about the Kuleshov effect, and I remember thinking that was so cool, and then a couple days later wanting to look it up and completely forgetting what it was called. Um, and so now, n- now that I know what it is, that I've continuously gone back to it and referenced it for people, and, and it, it is an absolutely fascinating kind of. I, I I thought for a while it was a thought experiment. I didn't realize it was actually films that he had made. I thought it was just more of like a an actual kind of psychological experiment or something that this guy had done. Yeah, I always want to call. You'll appreciate this, and no one else I know. I always want to call it the Kovalchuk effect. Uh, <laughs> no, the, the Kovalchuk effect is a, is why we have a a collective bargaining agreement in place, David. That's, yeah, that's that's the Kovalchuk effect. But um, yeah, and, oh, and that's oh, this just reminded me. Like now, because the season is on pause, we can't even talk about predictions for the playoffs because by all all likelihood, uh, there's not going to be a playoffs, and they probably won't pick up until next season again. Yeah, I think that the season is going to be full on canceled. Not I don't think they're ever going to do a truncated playoffs. I do think they're just going to cancel it because I think that they really want to, they want the 20, 2021 season yeah. to be intact. So I think they would rather, I think it'd be wiser to just write the season off and look toward a full season next year. One thing, um, now David, as a podcaster, do you listen to a lot of podcasts or is it just battleship retention or nothing? No, I do. I haven't been listening to podcasts much on quarantine because I haven't been commuting. I mostly just listen to music while I'm working. Yeah, the same way. Uh, so yeah, I do listen to a lot of 
podcast, I don't listen to a lot of movie podcasts. In fact, I don't really listen to any movie podcasts. I listen to sports podcasts hmm. and some comedy podcasts. Okay. Well, there's a good one you should check out called I Do Movies Badly. But aside from yeah. that, <laughs> there's a. do you listen to the hockey podcast Puck Soup? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Always. Okay, We've good. talked about this before. I have okay, David. It's been since Cinco de Mayo. It's been a long time ago. <laughs> but I, I think it's probably a couple of times ago because um, back when Dave Loza was still on Puck Soup, oh, yeah. he had during the mailbag segment he had read one of your tweets. Oh yes, and I never listened to the mailbag segment, so that was lost on me. <laughs> um, but and I gotta say, but I specifically I, remember it was because it must have been like around Halloween because he was like, "This one's from Jim Booner." <laughs> because that was your Halloween <laughs> Twitter handle. <laughs> That's right. Uh, oh man, which is better than the only other time a, a reviewer or feedback of mine has been read on the air was a long time ago when Tim Buell still had the golden briefcase. Um, uh-huh. The only iTunes review I ever left was for them, and it was I left my name as Jim Boner, and <laughs> and the guest thought it was I don't remember who the guest was, but he thought it was hilarious because they clicked on my profile and saw that that was the only review I read. So there's like this guy created this profile and named it just so he could leave this one review, <laughs> and it didn't even occur to me. But um, that was that was the beginning of my friendship with Tim, Tim Buell, who's an absolutely delightful human being. Um, yeah. But no, uh, uh, puck, uh, but this goes back to saying Puck Soup. Listeners, I'm sorry. It's, it's been a while. Dave and I, we, we got to catch up. Uh, and mm-hmm. there's only going to be so much that he's going to tell me about Soviet silence cinema anyway. But one about Puck Soup, I think it's much better since Dave Loza left and Ryan Lambert and yeah. uh, uh, Sean McAdoo came in. Yeah, I did not care for Dave Lozo at all. Um, mm. It just, his, his uh, clear contempt was never, was always thinly veiled at best. Um, and I, I like, I like, Ryan Lambert and Sean McAdoo as personalities. I think they bring something different. Uh, Ryan is kind of a cynical asshole, which I mostly appreciate and sometimes don't. And yeah. Sean is a uh, very hilarious and has that kind of encyclopedic knowledge that I think adds uh, something because the two of them don't have that. But um, one thing that Wyshynski was talking about, which I thought was fun, was because the season's on pause, they kind of have to listen to whatever crazy ideas gms or people come up with is like what should we do with the season and so just kind of hearing the ideas that are brought that are being brought up like kind of a you know a 24 team playoff or uh yeah. you know like a one-on-one tournament or it's it's just fascinating to kind of hear the ideas that people are coming up with which are never going to come to fruition because it will just probably be a, a canceled season and then eventually hey let's bring it all back but i have to say that makes me a little bit nervous because um as a new york rangers fan Igor Shesterkin, who's the goalie of the future, who had just kind of started getting reps and was like really kind of developing and, and turning into something quite special, and now like that's all kind of. Um, but we'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see how it goes. It's mainly just I miss, I miss hockey. I miss hockey, David. That's that's what Me it comes too. down to. Yeah. Me too. My only solace is that the St. Louis Blues remain Stanley Cup champions until there's another Stanley Cup. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Final. Yeah. yeah, and this will <laughs> this will likely be the first season since. Coincidentally, the Spanish flu season of 1918-1919, in which there will not be a Stanley Cup uh, awarded, which yeah. is, you know, I, I think back then they were still playing on palms with like six teams. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But um, let me see. Is there anything else I want to talk about when it comes to Soviet cinema? Oh, one minor question, I guess, when it comes to was did you have another theme you were thinking of before these films came to you or was it or was it just kind of a blank canvas for you until this until these films came? Uh, well, there's one I've, for this show, for, for your podcast, there's one that I've hit pocketed for a long time that I would love to do, but I 
I just I can't bring myself to inflict it upon you. <laughs> because one thing I, that I was telling you over text message early, like earlier is that the good thing about this, these the, the films I'm going to pick today is that even if you don't like them, the longest one is under 90 minutes. Right. These are short films. Mm-hmm. But one of these days, I do want to inflict the uh, fifth-generation Chinese directors on you in which every <laughs> film is at least two and a half hours long. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. Because uh, uh, those were big uh, formative films for me uh, coming out of film school. Um mm-hmm. Uh, just it was the first time that I think that I'd seen movies that seemed so like grand and epic mm. and expensive and weren't Hollywood productions, you know. Yeah. Now and now I know more about stuff like that. But the fifth generation um, and the way that it did and didn't talk, the, the, I, I'm I'm always fascinated by movies out of China and movies out of Iran who like can address the political uh, structure they live under without directly addressing it or like sort of yeah. getting around the censors and stuff so that the and the the fifth generation refers to the um the national film school in in china and these directors sort of represent the fifth generation of graduates and we're talking about people like zhang yimou who has had some success in in, in the states and and chen kagi um and and some others but uh so yeah, so that's something. Someday I will make you watch uh, these very long Chinese epics, um, and maybe you'll like them. Well, there are plenty of bets for me to lose. Lord knows that, because yeah. <laughs> um, I think I'm zero for two on this so far. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, and and but I and I will say I do have to thank you because after Parasite won at the one big at the Oscars, thankfully, you know, I, I know you don't put a lot of stock in the Oscars, and nor do I. But it was it was good to see that something right happened with the world at one point. Oh, um, yeah. And then after, so after Parasite kind of won big, there was a lot of articles coming out. It was like, hey, like Bong Joon-ho, check out these filmmakers. And Kim Ki-duk was on there. And uh, I remember reading me like, oh, I, I know who that guy is. I, I saw some of his films. And then I thought, I didn't particularly like them, but I, at least I yeah. know who this guy is. Yeah, that would say that, like... <laughs> If the only thing you like about Bong Bong Joon-ho movies is that they're Korean, sure. But if you like Bong Joon-ho movies, you won't necessarily like Kim Ki-duk's movies at all. (laughs) They're they're uh, not uh, of the same breed. No, no, no. I don't don't think that... uh, No, I don't think that you can look at Okja and then... um... Pieta. Yeah, and, and then be like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, this this totally makes sense. I, I see exactly where these two guys came from. But... Enough dilly-dallying, we're going to get into Soviet silent cinema. And David, what is your first recommendation for me? We're going to kick it off with the obvious one, 1925's Battleship Potemkin, directed by Sergei Eisenstein, which is the, if you know anything about this era, that's the name you know. Yep. Uh, Sergei Eisenstein, who c- continued to, uh, he, he in his silent era, he made this, and he made Strike, and he made October, but he continued to make films well into the... Um, the uh the, well into the sound era and in until his relatively early death in the 19 1940s but battleship at hampton is sort of like you mentioned it's the one they show you in film school yep. and it's uh for a reason it's um it's a it's a very exciting movie that uh tells the your listeners can't see me but the true story <laughs> of the uh battleship potemkin which is um so uh, one thing we'll see in the first two films is that uh, so the the Soviet uh, 
state came into being after the 1917 October Revolution. Mm -hmm. But before 1917, there was the 1905 Revolution, sort of the the earlier one. But the Tsarists were still in power after, but they got some some workers' rights and stuff out of that. Uh, uh, and so these first two movies we're going to talk about both take place during the 1905 Revolution. Mm -hmm. So, um, so if you, Battleship of Temkin, 1925, 20 years after this 1905 uh, Revolution. And one of the things... The story, as related in the film, is that a naval crew is living and toiling under inhumane conditions on board this the battleship Potemkin, um, and they eventually decide to mutiny, essentially, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they kind of win, but their leader is killed in the uh, in the uprising, um, and that just strengthens their resolve, and then they pull into the port of Odessa and the people of Odessa rally around this triumphant story of the, uh, the, 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 the lower classes overcoming their oppressors and the czarists and their military and having that. So they basically just massacre a bunch of Odessa, uh, uh, civilians. Um, that's the Odessa step sequence that you, uh, right. That you referenced. Um, and then eventually, the, I mean, this is I'm giving away a bit of a spoiler, but you've seen it. Eventually, the battleship Potemkin, they turn the guns on the soldiers, and uh, it's a big, uh, big uh, triumph after many, many civilians are brutally killed. And that's the the thing about the movie that I think um, seeing it when I was probably nineteen. Mm -hmm. um, when you're younger and you think about older movies, you tend to think of them as being quainter safer stodgier mm -hmm. and one, the thing about battleship potemkin and these movies because the editing is so high-paced so frenetic so propulsive the movie actually works as uh an action movie during the i mm. think the 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 uprising on the ship we've got literally like they're throwing people into the ocean over the ship it's like actually like an action movie <laughs> and then the uh the thing the the slaughter of the of the of the civilians the odessa steps sequence is uh pretty brutal and um was definitely at the time considered very brutal the the, the movie uh for decades faced censorship not just just all over the all over the world um uh and um oh there's something else i was going to say about that but now i can't remember uh but the thing i think to to uh to go back to is that this once again, this is not. I don't know the actual of chain of events. There was, but you know, there was. My understanding is there that the uprising on board the battleship Potemkin is a real thing, and mm -hmm. there was some sort of confrontation when the battleship Potemkin came to Odessa. But the Odessa step sequence, as we know, it is not something that happened. Um, but uh, uh, that's not the point. The point mm -hmm. is what it represents, um, and. and uh, one thing you'll notice about Battleship Potemkin, I think, or you'll notice it because I'm uh, telling you to, I don't know if that's <laughs> um, is that in a very communist way, the movie is about, there are, there are characters in the movie, like individual characters, but the movie is really about groups of people. Like mm. I mentioned, even the like leader of the uprising, he dies halfway through the movie. Mm. you know and and uh or the uprising on the on the on the ship and then everything else is sort of done with his memory in mind uh, you know um and so this the this this idea of 
the protagonist being the people is something that is very strong in Battleship Potemkin, mm. um, and uh, and will definitely serve as a counterpoint to to the next film that we that we get into. But um, yeah, I, I think that one thing to keep in mind with all of these films is the way that they work as propaganda, which is often very persuasively. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, there, there's no denying that the, the, the bad guys in the movie are the bad guys and that the people who uh, do the uprising are doing it uh, for good purposes. The movie doesn't want you to question that uh, at all. But the thing, keep in mind that this movie has found a lot of fans and a lot of traction out outside of Russia, outside of the Soviet Union, outside of communist nations. Like it's a movie that works just on its own. It's mm. not just a bald faced piece of propaganda. It's a, it's a, it's a stirring and disturbing and sometimes thrilling, uh, an emotional movie, um, that'll keep you hanging on the edge, on the edge of your seat for all of about an hour and 15 minutes. Well, according to IMDb, an hour and six minutes. But well, I, I guess. Oh, is I, that? I guess yeah. IMDb says it's an hour and six minutes, and came out Christmas Eve uh, in the Soviet Union in 1925. Um, this was. Well, I don't. This, I don't know if they. You know, they weren't too into Jesus in the Soviet Union, so that might not have been uh, important to them. Well, David, and maybe that's why they've had so many problems over there. But um, yeah, th- th- as this opposed was... to us, we're doing great. <laughs> Uh, no comment on that. Where, but where are you? Where are you seeing the hour and six minutes? Um, if you just go to, um, I'm on my web browser, so on, on uh, IMDb, it's got it just got Battleship Retention at the top, and then it's got you know kind of under it the original title, and then it's got not rated an hour six drama history thriller, and then the initial release date. Um, Super weird because I'm looking at IMDb on my phone, and it says hour fifteen. Interesting. Very weird. Wow. Okay. Well, there's one way that I'm going to find out, and that's by watching. Yeah, it. you're going to watch it. Yeah. Uh, um, but no, th- this was interesting to me because I know I don't know if you if you had this experience or if listeners had this experience that if you went to film school or you went to some type of film education, there were those titles that you heard about so much that by the time you got around to them, your reaction was it it, it was it really had to be dichotomous in the sense of like either like oh yeah that lived up to the hype or like wait that's the movie they kept talking about and this one along with Citizen Kane were two of the movies that I had heard so much about, and then by the time I watched it, I was like, "Oh, I get it. I get why people keep talking oh, about yeah. this okay, one." Oh yeah, okay, good. Um, yeah. And it's it's interesting to think about. I mean, you described how a lot of the editing is sort of like an action sequence, and or or you kind of can see how action sequences kind of were derived from it. Of course, this one is very simply, and whether you find that fair or unfair is kind of credited with creating the montage or, you know, you know, a certain, you know, the, the certain technique when it comes to editing. Um, uh, and I forgot where I was going to go with that point, but, uh, suffice to say, yeah, when I saw it, I'm like, okay, I, I get it. I see. And even to think that this came out almost 100 years ago, this film was released <laughs> and yet we still see, or we are, I am going to see, I'm sure so many like techniques like, oh, I recognize this in later movies and to think like, holy shit, a hundred years later, it's amazing that a visual art form like that still has such staying power. Yeah. Uh, and you'll see the, um, one thing that, the, the sort of, when I think of this era, I think of the editing, but the, the sort of the framing that I think of is usually like weirdly for Soviet films, it's the Dutch angle, right? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The, 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 the camera sort of cantilevered and often there are, uh, 
people in profile, you know, sort of the, uh, the defining or one of the images that's often used as a key art or whatever for Battleship Potemkin, Battleship Potemkin is the sailor like shouting, you know, with his like hand up to his to oh, his yeah. face, and it's like he's like sort of in hat like like one quarter profile. It's like a it's a it's a both portraiture and duck at Dutch angle angle at the same time, and then you've got things like the um, uh, the guns on the ships that come out like from the side of the screen. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. De- sort of detached from the battleship within within the frame at least and they're just sort of jutting out mm. over the water and and um there's a lot of uh uh iconography i think that you know the it's it, i don't know enough to know if like the look of like soviet propaganda posters were the did did these movies inform those or was it the other way around sure. but you know yeah. that that sort of uh um those 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 harsh angles uh, in in the framing and the and the diagonal lines that show up across the screen um, is very much here in Battleship Potemkin and will be in all three of the films we talk about today. Yeah, and I was going to make a joke about it, but when you were talking about the the sailor shell, I was like, and it also appears in early two thousands on the Franz Ferdinand album cover. But like, uh, it, <laughs> yeah, it does. That is, I think it, an intentional. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it doesn't. Just goes to say, like, yeah, this 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 is iconic. This is iconography, like in the strictest sense of the term. Um, is this uh, is this an appropriate moment to ask you then how long it took you and Tyler to come up with the title Battleship Retention? Uh, I will fully um, take credit. I came up with it. Okay. Um, we had been, we knew we wanted to do this podcast, and we were like bandying names around for it seemed like weeks, and I actually came up with it. I was at. Um, this is so corny, uh, because, but you know, I this was 13 years ago. I was not, uh, I didn't have much money and my, my girlfriend at the time, we had gone out to a Valentine's day dinner at Red Lobster at Red Lobster. And so we were at Red Lobster and like banding about names. And that was when I came up with battleship retention. And I think that night I called him and Tyler's initial reaction was, I love it. And then he kind of walked it back. He was like, is that too off-putting? And I sort of had to talk him into it. Okay. So yeah, this is me just taking full credit for uh, a name that has been both a boon to us and a curse to us at the same time. Like, I, th- I think there are a lot of people who have discovered our podcast because they like the pun of the name. Yep. And there are a lot of people who have probably steered clear of our podcast because either they think it's dumb or they don't know the reference or I don't know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, but I'm I'm still happy with it to this day. No, you you should be, and even though most of the time I'm sure as you do, I reference it as BP to people that I'm that I'm talking about and uh, uh-huh. or, or talking with, I should say. And uh, and this is this is my opportunity to tell you a story about how I discovered or or when I discovered Battleship Retention. And I'm sorry if I've told you this before, but the very first episode that I ever listened to was a it was a a, a horror or a Halloween. It was around Halloween time, I believe. And I think it might have been the episode of like horror versus terror, um, but I remember okay. listening to it and thinking that your theme song was catered to Halloween because it sounded so much like the Munsters theme song to me. <laughs> that I'm like, oh, this yeah, that's is... just the theme song. Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. How they did... and then it just turned out to be great, which it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but I, I just remember thinking like that. Yeah. That was one of my first impressions. Like, oh, it's like the Munsters. I get it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, and then theme yeah. music by Cole. 
Cole Paysack is the guy's name, by the way. I mean, we don't say that often enough on the podcast. Yes, but it, it's it been is, 13 years. <laughs> but it, it is wonderful music, and uh, of course, ever since I discovered Battleship Pretension, it's been all downhill from there. So, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, Battleship Pretemkin. I should have known it was coming. I knew it was coming. Yeah. But I'm happy because this was. Uh, this is one fun thing. So my wife and I, when we first started dating, we made a spreadsheet of a bunch of movies that we wanted to watch together. Whether it's, hey, I've liked this, I think you will too, or just, hey, now is an excuse to like finally watch this movie together. And we've added on to it, and we've been slowly working our way through it as we are in quarantine. Um, and on this list, Battleship Potemkin. So uh, this is that's a wonderful reason to to get to it as well as the fact right. that you're recommending it to me. So okay. Battleship well, according to, yeah, and according to JustWatch.com, it's on. It's available on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, the next one is also available on Amazon Prime, and it is. I will admit, this was a second choice for me because oh. I wanted to pick one of the three Savalod Podolkin films that I watched this week. Okay. The one that I really wanted to watch, uh, wanted to recommend, 1927's The End of Saint Petersburg, is not available to stream okay. anywhere. Um, and that would have been cool because it would have been because Battleship Potemkin is the Battleship Potemkin is the 1905 Russian Revolution. End of St. Petersburg, 1927, was made to commemorate the 10 year anniversary of the 1917 Revolution. Got it. But that one's not out there anywhere. So we're going with same director and we're going with 1926's Mother. Uh, and this is another 1905 uh, Russian Revolution film. But the thing that I will point out right away is that I went to great lengths to talk about in Battleship Potemkin in that the uh the focus is on groups of people as as your protagonist sure uh mother and in civilod podovkin's films in general tend to take the opposite approach they tend to have individual sort of representation surrogates for for the 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 masses so this is a more uh, uh so mother is like as the title suggests it's about a mother it's a more personal intimate story but it's about one person's place in the revolution. And so it still ends up getting to the same ends as the Eisenstein film, but uh, through a different direction. Here you've got uh, the the mother is ostensibly the main character, but really she's it's, it's about her whole family. Uh, at the beginning, her son is a factory worker who is going on strike. Her husband is one of the sort of goons that's hired by the the factory owners and the capitalists to put down the strike. So uh, she's got both of her family members on either side of this, uh, of this conflict. There's a big brawl when the, when the, when the workers go on strike, the father or her husband ends up being killed. And then she thinking she's doing the right thing ends up sending her uh, son off to like basically ratting him out and getting him sent off to a, labor camp in siberia <laughs> but then she recognizes over the time when she sees how her son is treated um she recognizes the error of her ways she recognizes that the 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 righteousness of the of the worker and the people's movement and ends up uh uh devoting herself to the cause and uh participating in another protest slash prison break <laughs> um <laughs> to, to get her to get her son out and so here's what, something that will uh, that this will bring us so that that covers the idea that like this is a story about individual people who represent uh, uh larger ideas or larger just masses of uh, of people uh but the other thing we'll talk about i talked about the sort of action type sequences in battleship potemkin yep. uh mother has a couple of a couple of things in the 
look for the scene right before the brawl breaks out when the strikers are leaving the factory and all the thugs are waiting for them out in the sort of like courtyard area just try not to think of like a western duel in that moment it's <laughs> it seems so evocative or maybe anticipatory mm-hmm. of the the kinds of westerns you'd see see um you can almost hear the ennio morricone um, <laughs> on, on the soundtrack uh during this during this part and then of course the 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 third act of the movie is a prison break movie not i don't know how established a genre prison break movies were in 1926 <laughs> sure uh, this is probably one of the earliest ones but uh once again you've got uh, a movie that clearly has something very unambiguous to say uh is meant to make you feel a certain way uh, mm-hmm. about what's happening on screen and what it represents in the world of 1926 russia but it's also a a fun rollicking genre movie for a lot of uh, a, a lot of the time. It's got some crime elements with hidden guns under the floorboards, and it's got like uh, it, it's got a lot of fun stuff uh, going on in it. And uh, this is the longest one you'll be watching uh, this month at, at all of eighty-seven minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, uh, it and remind me how to how to pronounce his name. I've been saying Sevalod Podovkin. Okay, but I don't know if that's right. Yeah, because it, it's spelled V S E V O. Yeah, I've, I've just been ignoring that first V. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, and it, and it, it's it says a. Uh, it's funny. The IMDb summary is just the film version of Gorky's great story of the 1905 revolution, and it's based on a. a I'm seeing a Maxim Gorky novel, and it's one of those things where the name Maxim Gorky is stuck in my brain. Since of like I've heard that name before, it's important, and I just can't figure out why. And maybe it's just he was a. Um, a famous Russian writer and novelist and maybe, but for some reason that's like, uh, my film school brain is like, oh, you know that name. I'm just not sure why that is, but. um, Well, because there's a park named after him and there's a movie named after that park, right? (laughs) I don't know if it's, there's Gorky Park is a 1983 film. Um, (laughs) This is news to me. Okay, so that's what I think of as Gorky Park. I don't know if it's actually, is there actually a park called Gorky Park? Yes, there is. Hold on, I'm looking this up. Yeah, Gorky Park is uh, is a park uh, in Moscow named after Maxim Gorky. Okay. So maybe you've heard of the movie, the uh, <laughs> the, the 1983. Um, um, let me see who directed it. 1983 Michael Apted film Gorky Park. Oh, Michael Apted. Starring okay. Lee, Hurt, Lee Marvin, Brian Dennehy. Um, yeah. Maybe that's what it is because I I know it's never I know I've never been to Gorky Park. So maybe that's what I I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to do some more digging and of course Have you been to I, Moscow? I've I've not even been close to Russia. Um yeah, neither the, the closest I've been to Russia is Reykjavik, I'd say. Oh, um, cool. But um and that and listeners if you don't know, that's not very close at all. Uh but um yeah, so no, this sounds very interesting. And I'm picking up a trend. It seems like these uh Russian films would or soviet films excuse me would want me to believe that um i'm supposed to sympathize with the proletariat and 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 the masses yeah, <laughs> yeah if you if you're paying attention you'll definitely uh, uh get that impression yeah, when you I, watch when you watch the movies I, w- I wonder if that's a trend that's held up in russian society um <laughs> there, there's no way of knowing really but um no this sounds cool and just just the way that uh you described it even as sort of having different um even different genre work and it just i mean you said it at the top of the show, but just kind of reiterating, like, yeah, these Soviet filmmakers were so 
ahead of their time when it came to like, hey, why don't we try these things to make these these titles more engaging? Stuff that we didn't kind of pick up on until like, I mean, not that, you know, we not all of our movies were the Great Train Robbery until like the 1940s, but it just, <laughs> <laughs> it is, this is this is really really cool, and just to kind of see. Um, as a viewer or as a listener or as a viewer um, and just kind of sitting there and watching them and be like, oh, this reminds me so much of this movie that I've seen. And like, well, actually, but this one came, once again, almost 100 years ago. So actually, that other movie should remind you of this one. Um, is a really cool... Right. Yeah. It's a really cool experience. But, okay, uh, so we got Battleship Potemkin. We've got Mother. And I was about to say, let me try and guess what your third recommendation would be. I'm I'm not even going to attempt it. So why don't you just tell me? Okay, well, it's going to be a big, in many ways, a major departure from the other two. And we're talking about uh, 1929's Man with a Movie Camera, directed by Ziga Vertov. This one is just over an hour long, and it is a completely non-narrative, or you might say experimental film. It has no... It has no story. It has no real actors. It's mostly documentary, but mm-hmm. there is some stuff that's staged, so they kind of have some some actors. But it doesn't have a narrative in the way that you're you're thinking. Its framework is it's basically just like a day in the life of a fantastically well functioning industrial Soviet city. Um, <laughs> and so you've got not only is it hyper quick editing, you've also got uh, you've got the Dutch angles, you've got split screens, you've got superpositions, you've got uh, uh, all these things, some of which, like, I think at the, at, the, at the time were dismissed as being overly, like, gimmicky, and you can kind of see that, you know? Um, there's, like, uh, there, there's a shot where it's a shot of a guy with a movie camera, and it's superimposed in such a way that it looks like he's, like, like Bride of Frankenstein style, like a little guy in a bottle. <laughs> right, um, <okay. laughs> and some of that, I think, from what I've read, is was uh, scoffed at, at at the time, but it's very cool and undeniably... Um, uh, uh, this Undeniably, this is a, a pioneering film in terms of uh, a lot of techniques. And I, I, I don't know how you... Uh, how you feel about experimental non-narrative cinema. But if you think you're going to be bored, don't worry. Because like I said, it's no shot seems to last more than a couple of seconds. It's <laughs> constantly moving. It's just over an hour long. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting and very fun. Um, and uh, I would say it's a delight to experience. And so the, then the question though, that I want to uh, uh, pose is in what way might this film also be propagandistic? <laughs> And I kind of hinted at it in my in my uh, description of it in that it's, uh, you know, maybe looking at it now, we see it as a, re- a relic, a remnant of this sort of uh, industrialization era. But think of the film from the time and think of it as actually being kind of utopian or utopian view mm. of look how well our clockwork society functions yeah you know um i i think that's a big part of what's going on in uh in in this movie is this is kind of like this is the dream of the russian city mm-hmm. um uh in in the very modern day of 1929 <laughs> um uh, so i think that's that's definitely a way to uh something to keep in mind while you're while you're watching it and uh, it, this is this is such a, a delightful kind of uh, trip down memory lane back into film school because once again Ziga Vertov is a name I've heard before but it was sort of an like an afternote once again or an afterthought uh, studied Russian cinema in a J term course so of course 
you can't get through decades of stuff in just one month. So I remember the professor mentioning Ziggur Veritov and me very, very incorrectly spelling his name because when you just hear, <laughs> when you just hear Ziggur Veritov, you're like, okay, uh, whatever. Um, but specifically reference as a filmmaker who sort of broke from uh, the trend, um, the, the, the equivalency that I, I sort of think about right now, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on it, but we sort of had, I remember we also watched, you know, a little bit of Italian neorealism. So of course we saw uh, Rome Open City and the Bicycle Thieves, but then also you had La Strada came out of that as well, which isn't quite, you know, the, has the same approach, but it still kind of came out of the Italian New Realism uh, movement, or how you had the French New Wave, but then you had the, what, what do they call them, the West Bank filmmakers that sort of like, we're also doing stuff in that, but we're Le- not quite like Truffaut uh, and Gunnar. Left Bank filmmakers, right, right, right. Um, so, and to address your previous comment, I'm not quite sure what my relationship is with experimental film either, because I, you know, uh, I have Last Year at Marion Bad on my shelf, um, I love that movie because of how out there it is, Great but at the, but at the same time, um, when I did cover Tarkovsky on this podcast, I don't say this proudly, I was falling asleep during Mirror. Like I, I just it, <laughs> like I could not keep my attention on it. But that one's a bit more from what you're describing. That's a, that one's a bit more kind of introspective and esoteric and um, trying to explore kind of a a spiritual or a mental space versus a, a propagandistic worldview. I would say. Yeah, yeah, you won't you won't have any trouble. I, I don't think staying awake during there with the movie camera. There's it's uh it's a super exciting like music video, except it's silent. But of course, obviously, there's music. Um, <laughs> uh, this one, by the way, you might I, I don't know if you have access to Canopy. Otherwise, you might have to pay to rent this one. Mm. But uh, it's free on Canopy. I don't know if you're uh, I, uh, using that. Here's the thing. I'm not. I should be, but also I don't know if I can be because Canopy used to be. If you had a membership to a, a New York City public library, you automatically got access to Canopy. And I believe yeah, that's few, how it is at the LA County LA Public Library. Yeah. I and, and I believe a few months ago they canceled that or they stopped supporting it. Um, which too bad. I, I don't know if it was like, hey, I, I remember posting the article on the I Do Movies Badly Facebook page. I can't remember whether it was, hey, this is going to happen or this has stopped happening. But um, I, it had something to do with uh budget in this wonderful city but yeah uh, i don't know if i do have access to it but if i do i should take advantage of it because i you know what i don't have a library card <laughs> and you probably can't get one now yeah I just, uh, I just realized that man there's so many mistakes that i've made are coming back to haunt me like how i didn't set up direct deposit <laughs> so i have to wait extra months for my stimulus check none of this matters uh suffice it to say i should have been signing up for canopy a long time ago and i did not uh support your local public libraries uh Yes. Do what I say, not what I do. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm excited for this one because Ziga Veritov and specifically Man with a Movie Camera is a title that I'd heard so much about. So um, this is this hopefully should be hopefully should be a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Ziga Veritov, by the way, was not his given name. It was kind of a nom de plume, if you will. Okay. Um, uh, um, and he represented a sort of group of of cinema theorists and and critics and filmmakers who were referred to as i don't know how the theme of this episode is you and i don't know how to pronounce these russian names but they (laughs) were referred to as like kinoks which was short for like kinooki which meant like kino eye or cinema eye okay and their idea was that and this is something that it's it's fascinating to think that these conversations were happening in the 1920s in the Soviet Union, because they're still happening in in sort of film theater, film theory and, and film criticism today. The idea that cinema isn't 
just to illustrate literature or theater or narratives that cinema has its own way of looking at the world and should be used uh should be embraced to the fullness fullness of its potential like that you're doing a disservice to cinema if Mm. all you're doing is using it to frame the story the way that like like it's a proscenium in a theater um and and so that's that's who Zigo Viratov was. These conversations still happen uh, today. Um, and and uh, so, yeah, it's almost 100 years later and we still haven't uh, come to a consensus of what cinema is or what it's for. And that's mm. why uh, Tyler and I have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, and I, I, yeah. I, did, I did listen to your episode on uh, what is cinema. Uh, I, yeah. I'll be honest, I found it equally engaging and infuriating um okay. not infuriating sounds because like a battleship pretension episode <laughs> um I, only infuriating in the sense of and this is going to sound incredibly pretentious as well i was kind of enraged that people were trying to tackle that question in like a short podcast episode because like this is <laughs> such a long discussion and, yeah. and i and i know tyler you know in his teaching experience people are like uh you know he has a lot of kids that they want to be youtube stars they don't necessarily want to be directors and it, 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 it opened the floodgates for me so it probably was not uh, but I appreciate that you, I appreciate it and um, hold it against you that you two uh, try to tackle that topic. Thank you, and uh, <laughs> go fuck yourself at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish that was the first time I've heard that, but it's not. Um, so, <laughs> as a recap, we have Battleship Potemkin. Once again, I had to stop myself from saying Battleship Attention. Yeah, we have, I do it too. We have Mother, and we have uh, Man with a Movie Camera. Um, I am, I'll be honest, I'm looking forward to these, David. Uh, I'm a lot more optimistic than when you came on to talk about Kim Ki-duk. Um, but I think this is, this is, this is going to be a, a good, uh, this is, this is going to be a good, um, theme for me to kind of, uh, getting back from my hiatus. David, uh, thank you for, uh, for joining me. I'm glad to hear that you and your wife are staying safe. If for some yeah. reason, this is the first time that someone is hearing about you, tell us a little bit about yourself, where they can find your stuff. Uh, battleshippretension.com is where you can find uh, you can listen to the podcast there but you can also find uh, all of the reviews and other articles by me and Tyler the host of Battleship Pretension by Scott and I our editor at large and by our many other contributors uh, including sometimes Jim but uh, we no longer have the uh, uh, the monthly streaming roundup that you used to do which uh, which I really enjoyed Um that was me guilting you into uh, <laughs> giving us more free content. Um, <laughs> it, okay, but, here, here's yeah. the thing. I, I will explain this to you because I'll, I'll be honest. I, I feel a little bit. You don't have to. No, but I, I you weren't le- paying you, so it's okay. <laughs> no, you, you weren't. Um, even though I was still invoicing you, didn't stop me from doing it. Um, uh, it must have gotten lost in your PO box. Uh, yeah. They, they, those blogs took me hours to write like i mean i'd say even just like a a draft of one was like five six hours and just doing research as to how you know what was coming out there and then by the time i moved in with my then girlfriend now wife i just didn't have the time to commit to it and then disney plus came along and all these other streaming shows like i don't have the fucking energy to kind of keep up with what's out there anymore but it it was it was it, it was a i enjoyed it as well i just did not have the bandwidth for it anymore by the way, are you still having fun saying my wife? Like it's it's a new thing, right? It's fun. Yeah, it is. Um, I yeah. I've I have been forbidden from 
saying it in a Borat voice. Your your wife and my wife are very different. <laughs> <laughs> um, she uh, this was our first. We we discussed the idea of of um of spouse edicts. Um, and there's only been one issue okay. so far, and it was from her that I cannot refer to her as my wife. Uh, so, <laughs> which is a shame because she has like a way, a fun way to refer to me as like her husband, and I just don't have one. So it's like, what's what, what's hers? Uh, she she says that my husband, which I like. Well, you got to come up with something. I I, do, I have, but like everything just kind of is forced. Um, so you should, maybe you should start calling her the misses. Well, but she, right? I, I guess, but she didn't take like we still kept our same names. Like she didn't take, so it, it's, I, I don't know. It, it's right. yeah, and same I don't, I, 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 and the thing is with nicknames with anything, I don't want to force it. Um, so when I first started dating her, her name is Emma, and uh, she was programming my phone as like Emma parentheses like Jane Austen and parentheses, and so I've just <laughs> I've kept it like that. <laughs> Uh, throughout all this so it's you know from years from now um her whatsapp is still going to pop up as emma like jane austen um so that's that's, yeah, that's just how i know uh, this was this was a, a diversion though you you were not done yeah i'm still in the middle of uh yeah battleshipretention.com um there's also uh my twitter is davy pretension um we have a patreon patreon.com slash battleship pretension we do uh uh fun stuff uh on there the last episode the the most recent patreon episode uh, it's an hour uh just under an hour of me playing or tyler playing 20 questions or i'm making tyler play 20 questions guessing all the celebrity <laughs> sightings that i have because i work in well now i don't leave the house so i don't see any celebrities but i work in beverly hills and i see famous people all the time and so we just did an hour of guessing games of uh of celebrities it was uh weirdly fun and stressful for Tyler. Um, and so if you're a patron, so yeah, $2 a month or $5 a month or $10 a month, you can get some bonus content. Uh, I think that's everything. All right. And, uh, and David, I got to say, now that you've given me your uh, mobile number and now I can text you on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. determined right now, and I'm going to put this out in the public sphere so that people can hold me accountable. I'm going to text a random GIF without context to David every single day um, and, see oh, how, okay. and see how long it takes for you to get sick of it, I guess. Well, you'll be the second person who does that because uh, Aaron Newworth from the Out Now podcast mm-hmm. um, texts me a gif of either Iron Man or Loki every day. <laughs> uh, uh, I think because I made the mistake of tweeting that I was sick of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or something like that. Mm-hmm. And now I get at least one MCU uh specifically iron man or loki gif every single day so you have to find another hook <sighs> okay well it's good because i was about to i was about to send you one and i guess now i can't do that all right fine i'll put my phone down but um <laughs> well yeah of, of course um you can uh email me at you do movies badly at gmail.com um you can find back episodes of i do movies badly at battleship if you go to the podcast drop down menu or find me on i do movies badly dot podbean.com I am on Twitter at Nolan Fixes Teeth, and also you can find my other podcast, The Cast of Cthulhu, in which James McCormick and I uh, review cinematic adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft um, at uh, castofcthulhu.podbean.com. Um, we obviously also had a hiatus in March because of my nuptials, and so we are coming back in April. We are dedicating April to two Stuart Gordon films because he recently passed away. Rest in peace, Stuart oh, Gordon. Rest in peace, yeah. Um, so our, our next episode publishing next week will be on From Beyond, and then we will follow that up two weeks later 
with um, Dagon from 2001. So um, awesome. th- that's exciting. So, uh, but David, thank you very much for joining me, for being, for ushering us back in from the hiatus. Um, once again, to you, David, to your wife, to listeners, um, stay safe. Social fucking distance from people because we would we would like to uh, to get this thing over with. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of people, even in the streets of New York City, just not really caring about who they walk um, obscenely close to. And it's kind of annoying me. Um, the final question I will have for you, David, before we wrap this up is, have you seen or do you intend to see Tiger King on Netflix? I, ha- I haven't watched it. It's not really on my... I'm not a... Um... I'm not a big true crime guy, although I hear this is maybe a little bit. There's more going on, a little bit. but i I don't tend to I don't tend to indulge much in in true crime. It makes me feel a little, hmm. I don't know, uh, ghoulish. I think. Well, no, I, I get that. Uh, I, I mean, this one is also there's definitely some animal rights things in here. I mean, some things. It, it's very much about that, and there's there's some hope that it will do to um, big cat captivity, like uh, Blackfish did with um, you know. Uh, um, whales in, in SeaWorld. Whales, yeah. yeah. And also, um, this may not mean anything to David because he hasn't seen it. Carol did not kill her husband. I don't believe it. Um, and if you okay. want, if you want to know why, you can email me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail dot com, and I will explain to you why. But um, that's enough daily dallying. David, once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, be sure to tune in next week, listeners, where I will be covering Battleship Potemkin, and where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 